All right, good morning again. The sermon series that we're working through right now is called Eating with Jesus, and we are looking at all of the instances in the Gospel of Luke in which Jesus eats a meal with people. And we're finding out the significance that that has for showing us what uh, the nature of Jesus' ministry, the nature of his message, and the nature of his kingdom. Today, technically, we're not going to be talking about a meal that Jesus had. Today, we're going to be looking at some parables. We're going to be talking about uh, famous parables, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. Why are we talking about these in a series about eating? Well, it's because one of the things we often forget as we look at these parables is that the context for them is a question about Jesus' eating habits. And when we recognize the context for the parable, we will actually understand what the, parable, what the parables are trying to get across. And so the first thing we're going to do as we dig into these passages is we're going to look at the context of the parables, and we're going to see what they're actually talking about, where they're actually focused, and it will open up, for me at least, it has opened up a significant part of what these famous parables are actually about. So, let's start by looking in Luke chapter 15 and see the context. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay. And Jesus is going to respond by going into the parables. So that is our context. What does this tell us about how we're going to interpret the parables? We need to remember that these, the parables are not like Aesop's fables that just exist on their own as independent things to be decoded. Jesus gave these parables as a response to this context. So first of all, who is Jesus speaking to? He is speaking to a mixed audience of Pharisees and sinners. That term sinners refers to people who are uh, conspicuously violating the law of Moses. They are obviously not obeying the, the law. So both of those groups are present. Now, you might visualize it that all of the, um, all of the sinners are close to Jesus while the Pharisees are off at the edges not really willing to come closer for, for fear of mingling with the sinners. But they, Jesus is aware of what they're saying and is in some way responding to their complaints. That is the prompt that causes him to tell these parables. Now, he's telling them in the hearing of both parts of the audience, but he is responding to that complaint. So, what is the complaint? What I want to point out here is that the Pharisees are bitter about Jesus' habit of eating with sinners. And I use that word intentionally because at this point, the Pharisees are not surprised about Jesus' habit of eating with sinners. They're not shocked by his habit of eating with sinners. He's been doing this the whole time, and they've been keeping tabs with him, on him, and they are aware of what he's doing. But they are not saying, wow, that Jesus fella is crazy Let's ignore him and go off. They, they keep coming back, right? They keep tabs on him. It continues to bug them, right? There's bitterness here. They are bitter that Jesus is spending so much time with them. Part of the reason why they're bitter about this is because Jesus is claiming throughout this to be bringing the kingdom of God, right? 
And when you claim to be bringing the kingdom of God in a culture that is steeped in the Old Testament, then your feasts take on a great significance. Jesus' dinner company matters because the feast of the Messiah is an image of the kingdom of God. They would talk about the coming age of the Messiah as a feast. And so what Jesus is doing when he says the kingdom of God is coming, especially when he says the kingdom is coming through me, and I'm going to sit down with these people, that sends a powerful message to the people observing who are aware of all this significance of who Jesus... He's not just saying, I'm eating with them now. He's saying, these are the people that I will eat with then. So this is more than just which table he sits at in the cafeteria, which is still, if you remember high school, still mattered. But this is that on an infinite scale. Okay? So that is the context. And I forgot to bring up my Bible. That is the context for, this par- for these parables. So now I'm going to read through these three parables, and I want you to listen to them, understanding that Jesus is responding to that complaint from the Pharisees. You may find that they sound a little different. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same, that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called on one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to come in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And when Jesus tells a parable, what he's usually doing is describing an earthly situation from a heavenly perspective. So Jesus is describing what is happening in that, in that group through the parables. So what we should be able to do, knowing the context, is be able to determine, we should be able to plug in who are the people representing, represented in the Wow, that came out totally wrong. How can we connect the groups in the parable with the people that Jesus is talking to. So first, we have, the, here's the easy one, because this is what we always, we always talk about when we look at the lost uh, parables. Who are the sinners that Jesus is speaking to in these parables? How are they represented? They're the, the lost items, right? So um, in the first parable, it says, one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. The, that represents the sinner, right? The sinners are the, the lost sheep. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. The one lost coin, right? Now, those are very generalized images that don't correspond well to human, or they don't correspond fully to human beings because a coin, if, really the woman is probably responsible for losing the coin. And sheep don't know any better, so the sheep probably just wandered off. Um, so there's one more layer to this, just to really drive home the point. Not only that we are lost, but why we're lost, we get the story about the, the son, the lost son. And it says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between him. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Not only are they lost, but they're lost because they have strayed from the proper path, right? They have willfully chosen to go a different direction. Um, this son has betrayed his father by taking his inheritance early and going off and squandering it in a way that his father did not teach him to do, did not want him to do, a completely different path in life. So in these parables, the sinners are the lost ones who have strayed from God's will and commands, right? Pretty Pretty uncontroversial, pretty obvious. But Jesus isn't only talking to that group. There's Pharisees in the mix. How are the Pharisees represented in the parables? The Pharisees are the 99, right? The 99 coins that aren't lost. The nine or the ninety-nine sheep that aren't lost, the nine coins that aren't lost, the the older brother 
that isn't lost, the ones that are not partied over, right? Because that's their resentment, that we want, why, why are they getting to the feast and we're not? And it specifically says that the shepherd leaves the 99. And it's funny, Jesus says, well, wouldn't he obviously leave the 99 in the wilderness to go after the one? That's not obvious. That's terrible shepherding. Technically, you don't like, you know, you get them in a pen or you get some other shepherd to watch them and then you go looking after the one. Otherwise, you will get back and there will not still be 99 sheep there in the wilderness. He's emphasizing, he's showing that to emphasize his commitment to finding the one. But the Pharisees are the 99 sheep, the nine coins, the older son. What does Jesus tell us about the 99, the nine, and the, one, and the older sibling? How are they different from the younger son and the lost ones? They're the really lost ones? This is not what Jesus says. This is hard for us. This is really hard for us because it goes against the way we've been told to put things together. But this is what Jesus says. They are the ones who are not lost. In fact, how does Jesus describe them at the end of the first parable? He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Who are the Pharisees in that statement? They're the righteous ones who don't need to repent. And look at how the, the older son describes himself, and the father does not correct him. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The father does not say, oh, no, 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 you're just as bad in your own way. The father doesn't disagree with him on this. So according to the story Jesus is telling and the way he chooses to describe the situation, the Pharisees are the righteous ones who have not strayed from God's will and commands. That doesn't seem to fit, though, does it? it it's, it's hard for us to... It goes against everything we've been taught since Sunday school to say the Pharisees were righteous. Because usually, this happens a lot. I found this where I find myself saying something that's not in the story in order to make it fit what I've been told the story should say. I've been told to say, well, they're all lost sheep. They're all prodigal sons. Which, if that, whether that's true or not, Jesus doesn't say that. It's just like when we looked at the story of Simon the Pharisee and, um, and the sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet, and it says one of them was forgiven a lot and one of them was forgiven a little, and commonly we'll say, oh, well, the Pharisee just wasn't aware of how much he needed to be forgiven. That might be true. That's not what Jesus says. And we should be very careful to add in things to the story of what Jesus is saying especially when we feel like we have to in order to make it fit with what we want the Bible to say or what we've been told the Bible says. Y'all look nervous. It'll be okay, I promise. All right, so the last group, the, the last person that we have to identify in this story is Jesus. This one's not tricky. This one will be obvious too, right? So who is Jesus in this story? Jesus is the shepherd. He's the woman. He is the father, right? So the, the shepherd finds the sheep, and then it says he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have, lost my, I have found my lost sheep. This is the really important part, because what are we talking about with these, these parables? We're talking about Jesus' habit of eating with sinners. 
So the point of the parable is to explain the eating. And where does the eating come in in this story? Well, it comes in in the fact that once the shepherd finds the sheep, he throws a party. That's the eating. Similarly, when the woman finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Which is really funny that you would, you would celebrate finding money by spending money on a party. In each of these cases, there's something a little bit over the top about the way the person celebrating the found one celebrates. Or the, their poly, the way they seek the lost and celebrate. It's a little bit over the top, which is kind of the point. Because Jesus is also the father, and it says, while, he was, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Uh, he said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is, this is the, the key part of the story, uh, where it touches in with the situation they're in. That Jesus is the one who seeks the lost and celebrates when they are found. He recklessly, passionately, fanatically seeks the lost. And that passion is so genuine that when he finds them, he cannot help but party. It would be inappropriate for Jesus to welcome in the sinners with some somber ceremony, with a solemn handshake and a pat on the back and a certificate. That would not be appropriate for what Jesus is doing. Because he is fanatically devoted to finding the lost, and the only way he can appropriately uh, react when, that, when he finds someone is to celebrate, and that is why he is not going to stop feasting with sinners, and he's not going to apologize for feasting with sinners, because it is worth celebrating. So that explains why Jesus feasts with sinners. But these parables are invitations to each of the two groups. Because remember, he's, he's not just defending himself. He's inviting this, this group to respond. There's two invitations going on. And we normally focus on the one. Jesus was encouraging the sinners to return to God's open arms. And if you're one of those, if you're in that position where you've been alienated from God and you've never turned to him and, you, and you, you have strayed in the way the lost son has strayed, then the message for you in these parables is God's arms are open and Jesus is passionately, fanatically chasing you down. He so desperately wants you to return. And it's not a matter of, will God take me back? It's a matter of how big a party are they going to... Well, no, they're all big parties. But it's a matter of there's, there's going to be partying happening when you come back. That's the message for those of us in the sinner camp when we are in that camp. But there's also another message. There's a message for the Pharisees. And that's at the end of the passage. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees when he says this, because in the parable, this is the father talking to the older son. The older son represents the Pharisees. The father represents Jesus. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, 
because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus has explained to the Pharisees why he's feasting, why he's partying. But he doesn't say, that's what I do, get used to it. The Pharisees, by their own message, are passionate about finding the lost. They have a very different way of going about it than Jesus, but they are passionate about finding the lost. And Jesus says, that is exactly what I am doing, and all I want you to do is to join in the celebration. Isn't this a good thing? Instead of focusing on the fact that you didn't get a party, focus on the fact that what we are all working toward is happening. That these people who were lost have been found. Jesus was inviting the Pharisees to join in the celebration at the return of the lost. And these are, these are tender words from the Father. That they don't, they don't poke holes in what the older son says about how he's behaved over the past few years. There may be holes to poke, there may not, but that's not the point. It is true that the older son didn't take his inheritance, didn't wander, probably made a lot of sacrifices in order to stay on the straight and narrow. Right? He said no, he denied himself in a lot of ways, and that's what made him different from the prodigal son. How many of us will look back and see lots of sacrifices that we've made in order to stay on the straight and narrow? And if we're honest with ourselves, we're kind of looking for the reward that we get for that. I was telling Casey what I was going to preach on, and she, um, she t- encouraged me to use this example. She said that she is still waiting for the reward that she gets for marrying a pastor. She's, uh, this is, so, I don't know if you've heard about some of the fallout of the purity movement that happened like when I, in the 90s and early 2000s. There was this sense, and, and Casey has talked about this for her, it, uh, there was this sense, like, if you keep yourself pure, God will give you the, a certain kind of life. You will be rewarded in certain ways that people who didn't keep themselves pure will not be rewarded. And on this side of that, turns out that's not exactly true. Purity did not bring my wife a perfect husband. Hey, I'm not supposed to amen that. How often do we look around and we see people who made worse choices than us, who didn't put the work into it, who seem to be benefiting more than us? How much do we want a party for ourselves? Where's where's my party? Right? This is what the the Pharisees are feeling, and we we, we would be lying, we would be hypocritical if we said, oh, they're they're just those horrible Pharisees, I'm so glad I'm not one of them. Which is funny, because as soon as you say that, you are a Pharisee, because that's what the Pharisees said. I'm so glad I'm not one of them. We all, if you're not in one camp, you're in the other, right? So if you're in a Pharisee camp, you will have that temptation. And when Jesus speaks to that that person, those people, he speaks with compassion. He speaks in a way that appreciates the sacrifices that were made. 
right? The father appreciates what the son has done. He says, I love you and everything I have is yours. But what is important right now is that this lost person was found and that's the goal. That's the mission. We are on a mission to find the lost and we are going to stay mission-oriented. So what this tells us Here's where I'm going to start, start trying to dig myself out of this whole Pharisees are righteous thing, okay? Because here's the problem that we have with that. Well, righteousness is what gets you into heaven. And nobody gets into heaven without Jesus, so we have to say that nobody is righteous. Problem is, the Bible actually lists several people who are righteous. Without, you know, it just says, this, this, this was a righteous man. Job was a righteous man. Zechariah was a righteous man. There were righteous people in the Bible, and what we end up saying is, well, righteousness, we, we, we stick with the idea, which the Pharisees had, that righteousness is what gets you into heaven. And then we say, oh, but nobody, gets in, nobody can be righteous enough, so we have to like, get Jesus' righteousness. And so that's why we trust in grace, because we get Jesus' righteousness, because getting into heaven, being part of the kingdom, is about being righteous. Jesus' whole point is that, that the point of the kingdom is not about being righteous. The feast, see, the, the Pharisees expected the feast to be about vindication. If the Pharisees' version of that parable was that the, the sheep strayed, and so the shepherd came back and threw a party for the 99 sheep that didn't stray. And if that one tried to come back, the shepherd said, no, sorry, you strayed, you did it wrong, and these guys didn't, so they get the party. Right? The party is for the son, the older son, and the younger son, if he's lucky, gets to be a servant at the party, but the older son gets the reward because he stayed, because the feast is about vindication. I did it right. I am righteous. That gets me in. Jesus' whole point here is that the feast is not about vindication. The feast is a celebration of reconciliation, not vindication. Jesus doesn't throw the party because these are the people who did it right. He throws the party because these are the people I love who, who were in danger and came back, who were in rebellion and returned, who were lost and have now been found. That's what gets Jesus to party. Now, he appreciates, as we saw in what he says to the older son, he cares about the work that we do to be faithful to God. But it is true that none of us are righteous enough to deserve a party. Right? Righteousness is actually par for the course. It's what we're supposed to do. It's like you don't get a party for not speeding. It's what you're supposed to do. You don't get a party for not committing crimes. That's normal. God cares about what we do in order to be obedient to him. Every sacrifice that we make, he values and he appreciates but the party is ultimately about reconciliation. That's what is going to happen at the end time, is bringing together people who all of us in our own way rebelled against God. And we get to celebrate the fact, not that I did every little thing right, but God forgave me for the things that I did wrong and has returned me to this family along with all of the rest of us. So in this parable, what that tells us, if it's not about vindication but about reconciliation, that tells us that there are two ways to miss out on the feast. Each son is in danger of missing out on the feast. Okay? 
Sinners miss out on the feast when they refuse to be reconciled to God. When we say, it's not a problem that I went my own way. I can do whatever I want, and I don't need to apologize. I don't need to do it differently. I don't need to seek God. I don't need him. I'll do it my own way. That keeps us away from the feast. If the lost stay lost, then they're not part of the celebration, right? They've remained, if, if the younger son had decided, you know what, better to eat pods out here than to serve in my father's house, then that's how the story would end. So as sinners, we can miss out on the feast if we refuse to be reconciled to God. But notice that the story of the lost son, the story of the two sons, it might be better called, ends with this question of whether or not the older son is going to miss out on the feast. And remember what the feast represents. The feast is the feast of the kingdom. And the story leaves off without finding out whether the, son, the older son is going to participate. Because what we find out is that Pharisees can miss out when they refuse to be reconciled to others. I'm not going to eat with those people. They don't deserve it. I'm not going to dignify them with my presence. I need to sit ahead of them. I did all these things so it should be my name on the banner. I'm not going to participate unless this feast vindicates me. So in the specific case of this parable, what that tells us is that we can miss out on the feast because we refuse to be reconciled to others. In the broader perspective, what that also teaches us is that getting to the feast is not simply about righteousness, meaning keeping the rules. This is a perspective that happens a lot where people, we talked about this in our evangelism class this morning. One of the objections that you get is, eh, I did, I'm good enough. I haven't done anything too bad. God and I are fine. I haven't, I haven't made him mad. I haven't done, you know, I, I'm a good person. I don't need anything more. I don't need to make sacrifices. I don't need to go. There. We're good. The thing is, it's not about righteousness. It's not about keeping the rules. It's about, this is a kingdom with a cause, with a purpose, with a mission. So following Jesus isn't just about not sinning. It's about sharing in Jesus' mission and values. If you are not on board with a kingdom of reconciliation, then you can have all the righteousness you want, but you're not going to like the feast. And you're not even going to want to be a part of it. If you imagine that there could be a point at which you get to the edge of the feast in the kingdom and you realize you don't want to sit down, See, we, we think of paradise as, as the perfect thing that anybody would want that satisfies every desire we have, and it's the reward for good living. That's not what heaven, that's not what paradise, that's not what eternity is. Eternity is when God's purposes are fully and finally realized. That means that things are going to go God's way and only God's way. And it's possible for us to flat out not want that. To simply not want that world. That seems to be what's happening to the Pharisees. They flat out do not want the kingdom that Jesus has. 
and they're not going to accept a seat at it. Notice, remember the parables we talked about last week, where the problem keeping the Pharisees from eating at the feast was not that they didn't earn an invitation, but that they refused it. They didn't want it. Following Jesus doesn't just mean that you follow his example when it comes to moral issues. It doesn't just mean that you vaguely use the Bible to guide what you should do in a particular situation. It means that you adopt a certain set of values, a certain kind of kingdom, a certain cause, a platform, if you will. It's like joining a political party where you are joining a vision, a mission, and the question is not, have you, have you broken any laws? It's not, do you have any felonies on your record? The question is, are you part of that vision and mission? Are you moving in that direction? Are you, building the, are you participating in the building of Jesus' kingdom? And it is possible to follow the rules and build your own kingdom instead of his. Right? It's actually quite easy. All you have to do is follow the rules and refuse to forgive the people who don't. That's right there. That's an easy way off the top of my head. If Jesus is building a kingdom of forgiveness and we keep all the rules but refuse to forgive the people who don't, you are a rule keeper who is against the kingdom of God. Right? The feast is not simply a reward for doing things right. It is a celebration of reconciliation, and we need to be a part of that. But here's the great thing about it. It's a celebration of reconciliation. That means that if you have been fighting against it, if you've been going your way, if you realize that you're a Pharisee, the whole point is you can be reconciled. That's what the party's about. It's actually not hard to get into a feast of reconciliation. Just be reconciled. That's all it is. And you know what? The party gets bigger when you do because there's another reconciliation to celebrate. This is what I love about these parables. Jesus, so often we think that Jesus and the Pharisees were just at loggerheads and, and Jesus was always condemning them and, and they were yelling at each other. Turns out there were a lot of Pharisees who ended up following Jesus. Jesus, we have more feasts of Jesus and Pharisees than Jesus and sinners. And... In this instance, he responds to their criticism of his feasting policy with an invitation to join in. And that's how Jesus always responds to us, is an invitation for us to join in. Jesus' table is always open to sinners and Pharisees alike. And that's why it's so important that we get out of this mindset of earning the place. Because then we think, when we think, oh, I've done it wrong. I've had, the, the, I've had the, the feast wrong in my head so long. Clearly, Jesus doesn't want me at the feast. No, you, that's still wrong. The whole point is he wants everybody at the feast. All you have to do is reconcile. The Pharise, literally, the Pharisee of Pharisees was reconciled to Jesus. And every one of us can be too. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and I'm going to ask you what God is putting on your heart right now. We believe that every time the gospel is preached, God has something, some way for us to respond. And I, don't, it, I have no idea what all the various things that God could be putting on the hearts of the people in this room. 
What I would encourage you to do, though, is to hear the voice of Jesus calling to you and be open to responding to it. Now, as a church, we believe that we are all called to be disciples of Jesus, and we see discipleship as involving three key components, connecting with God and his church, growing in faith and love, and serving our community and world. And so my question to you is, how are you doing as a disciple? Maybe you are a sinner who needs to connect with Jesus for the very first time. Today is the best day for you to do that, and we would love for you to come forward during the last song, grab, uh, I was going to say one of the ministers, but I'm the only one here today, grab me afterward, um, t- contact us throughout the week. If you're online, talk to some, a Christian that you know and trust, but don't let this moment pass without responding. Maybe you've made that commitment, but you realize that you are a Pharisee a lot of the time, just like me, that you get pulled into that Pharisee mindset. That's where we need to grow. And that's where this church comes together to help each other grow through our classes and our small groups. And if you want to be a part of one of those, grab the grow card, check that box, and and we will connect with you and get you in a class or a group. It's a great way for us to support each other. And ultimately, God calls us to serve others as being part of his kingdom. And if you're ready to take that step and start giving to others, we have a card for that as well. And if you want to know more about being a part of this congregation, being a member here, we'd love for you to take our Connect class. You can find that on a Connect card as well. But as we sing this last song, I want you to just prayerfully consider how is God calling you to respond this morning? Let's stand and sing. Thank you.